I'm thankful for the invitation this evening. I'm glad that you came out on a very blustery day. The wind is blowing. If you came in from the south, you saved a lot of money on gasoline. But don't feel too good about it because you'll lose it all as you head back home. That's just how it is. I know that most of us start getting excited in a good way with the time of year that's uh, approaching us now. I know that I do. Occasionally, some family traditions that we've established over the years, uh, sometimes those things have to change. Sometimes things are omitted just for the sake of logistics. As families get bigger and spread out, well, sometimes it gets a little bit more difficult to make that happen. But this is the time of year when families start making plans to get together, if at all possible. And that's the time when we might start planning a little bit harder to uh, give someone special just the right gift. We look forward to that particular moment when we can express our love to that individual in some special way. Great traditions really make for beautiful times. We like to uh, gather with our own for a day or two, maybe to have some fun. Just a day or two of peace, a day when what's happening in the world can be temporarily pushed into the background. And that's an important thing. When maybe your phone doesn't ring for a couple of days, maybe someone isn't trying to sell you siding on your house, you know, whatever it is. It's just, it's just nice to have that kind of break. Today I want to remind us that God is the author and the creator of all the wonderful things that I've just mentioned. God is the author of family. He is the author of giving. He is the author of peace. He's the author of love itself and he's described in scripture as being love. I want to read from 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8. The one who does not love does not know God. For God is love. He's personified in that way. By this the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. So God is the Father of the world. He is the author of sacrifice. He's the author of life itself. And He began to express His love for everyone in this room tonight a very long time ago. Not very many people today acknowledge that. And that is the great tragedy of our age. Indeed, we live in a world that is barraged with unbelief. We surely know that from the entertainment industry, but we don't even need to turn on our televisions anymore to know that that's true. For instance, there are a lot more cars on the roads on Friday night, but at Friday nights and Saturday nights, actually, than are on the road on Sunday mornings. That is just a fact. Why is that? Friday and Saturday nights are about entertainment. And there's nothing wrong with entertainment, you understand, but there's everything right with worship. There is everything right with observing the day of Christ. Sunday mornings are about worship. 
There is no denying the disconnect that we see in our world today. We can bemoan this disconnect to one another, and that's understandable. I mean, we indulge in that from time to time, don't we? We talk about how, how dangerous the world is getting, how, how unspiritual it is becoming, how uh, filled with hate it might be, uh, all the things that, that cause us so much, uh, so much angst. We can bemoan that to one another, but we should also do what we can about it. So it's more important than ever that we relate to and share Jesus the man. If you're taking notes, if you happen to be doing that tonight and you want a title for this, it's Seeing Christ the Man. And there were some elements of this in Brother Chuck's prayer tonight. Seeing Christ the man. It is more important than ever that we relate to and share Jesus the man. Humanism is still a great bane, a great curse, you understand, on the population of the world. But today, even in the Bible Belt, our society knows that hatred and violence and skepticism that I mentioned a few moments ago. And the world knows a boatload of moral relativism. And we don't have to travel very far to see that. In fact, it's more difficult all the time to escape it. I know that we want to be effective. I know that we want to be courageous in sharing the blessings of Christ. And we need to exercise anything that works for us. We need to do everything we can to reach out, even in a world where a lot of people aren't the least bit or don't seem to be interested. I have noticed, however, and this is a strong impression that I have, that cutting straight to the virgin birth of Jesus or to the deity of Christ or the pre-existence of Christ, the power of Jesus to work miracles, and all of these are precious New Testament themes. Most people in our world anymore no longer seem to have the capacity to relate to those truths. And they may never have that capacity unless we emphasize the humanity of Jesus. Think on this if you will. When God sent Jesus to the world, He sent Him as flesh and blood. Jesus in the physical world lived and died as a man. He was born as an infant. He was raised by mortal parents. He labored in the flesh. He shared his message as a man. And then he suffered and died as a man. God in his wisdom sent Jesus as a man. Because it was exactly what mankind needed. And even as we contemplate Jesus the man, I want to remember God in his wisdom. But concerning Jesus the man, from the oldest to the youngest, male and female, we need to know that Jesus, God in the flesh, has experienced our pain. Politicians like to say they feel our pain. And you know, for some, that may be true. They like to say that they understand. And with a few, that may be actually true. But we can't help but be suspicious. And many politicians, with all their bills and expenses paid, seem to forget what their constituents have to deal with 
hundreds, maybe even thousands of miles from Washington, D.C. Jesus, on the other hand, never had the luxury of forgetting the pain of those people that he taught. Jesus is a man faced and sometimes struggled with the same temptations that they faced, that we face. Jesus, the Son of God, really does understand. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 9 through 18. I'm going to turn to that text and I invite you to do that with me. Hebrews chapter 2. Verses 9 through 18. I have a new Bible and I'm so thankful. I'll be so happy when some of these pages stop sticking together. <laughs> That'll be really nice. But my other one started falling apart and, and Mary said, this is ridiculous. And so she went out and bought me a, bought me a new one. All right. Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. But we do see him who has been made for a little while lower than the angel, namely Jesus. Because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. God knew what was going to happen. This is anticipatory. Crowned with glory and honor. That by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him for whom are, are all things and through whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through suffering. For both he who sanctifies, and that's speaking of Christ, and those who are sanctified, that's speaking of his church, are all from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will proclaim thy name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing thy praise. And we remember, don't we, from the study of the Scriptures, the glory that Jesus always gave to the Father in heaven. And again, I will put my trust in Him. And again, behold, I and the children whom God has given me. Since then the children share in flesh and blood. He himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. In verse 9, Jesus tasted death for everyone. And that death did not come quickly. It wasn't by an arrow. It wasn't by a beheading or a fall from great height, some great height, although that was attempted, and I'll mention that a little bit later on in the lesson. 
Death on a cross was agonizing and it was slow. Jesus saw and and painfully felt the scourging. He saw the crown of thorns and He experienced that pain. He experienced the nails being pounded through His flesh, through His hands and through His feet. In those horrible hours, I want you to think about this if you will. Jesus heard. Think of the five senses that God has blessed us with. Jesus heard. Jesus saw. Jesus smelled. Jesus felt the death that was approaching. He tasted death death coming. Imagine what Golgotha must have been like. Three people were crucified on the day that Jesus died. There's no telling how many people were crucified on the average day at the hands of the Romans. Try to imagine the reality of death coming at you from every perception that God has granted to mankind. The assault of such a savage execution on the senses of a human being. But in verse 10, by the will of God, many sons would be brought to glory. How could that happen? Jesus the man was being brought to perfection through his sufferings. He was sinless, we know. He was was perfect in that way. But he was not yet complete as a sacrifice. What was lacking? Without his suffering and death, Jesus was not the perfect offering, the perfect sacrifice for the salvation of mankind. Focus now on verse 14. Those in need of salvation were flesh and blood, our flesh and blood. So was Jesus. And in his victory over death, he rendered Satan's hold on believers powerless. Now verse 17, Jesus who would prove to be sinless was like us in every other way. So he was perfect. He was right to become our high priest and to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Propitiation means that which satisfies. It was Christ who satisfies or who satisfied God. Through Jesus' suffering and death, He came to satisfy the justice of God. Verse 18, our Lord has walked in our shoes. That's not exactly what it says, but that's what it means. He's walked in our shoes. He knows what it is to be tempted and tried, so He is compassionate. Those letters C-O, that's a a together prefix, you understand, uh, in our language. Together. He is passionate toward us together. Jesus still comes to the aid of Christians who are tempted because He was tempted, among other things, in all that He suffered. At God's right hand today, Christ is holy and just and everything that his father needs for him to be. But he still understands us. Here's why that's important. If I realize that people have been ugly to me, 
If they have attacked those who are dear to me as bad as that is, nothing could be worse than what the enemies of Jesus did to him. He was rejected. He was ridiculed. He was lied about. He was beaten. He was bloodied. And he was killed. So no matter what it is that we have to go through in life that is difficult, it is nothing compared to what Jesus experienced. There are more hurting people out there than we usually think about. Christ's compassion for hurting people is a compassion born of first-hand experience because He walked through a sinful world. Christ's compassion born of experience and we need to speak to people about that. And I don't want us to ever be hesitant about sounding too religious or overly zealous. If we want to bemoan the fact that all over congregations are suffering and and losing members for a variety of reasons, that's one thing. But we need to do the best we can to help people to relate to Jesus the man. Because it's where you understand so many are going to begin. So many of the concepts that we treasure and that they can come to treasure are so foreign to them. They need to be able to relate to our Savior. Don't be afraid to sound like someone who's been touched by God. Be more afraid of being someone who hasn't been touched by God. How do you suppose the woman at the well sounded to the people of her village in John chapter 4 whenever she hurried into her city to ask others if the prophet that she had been talking to, and by the way, she perceived that he was a prophet. She turned a pretty important corner right there as she was talking to him in the flesh and blood. She wanted to ask others if the prophet that she'd been talking to at the well might indeed be the Christ. And you know, unless we're doing a verse-by-verse study of the Gospel of John, we don't often speak, at least in my experience, about the results of that conversation with her as she then went into the city. Many people in that city became believers. Jesus stayed there for two days and made even more disciples. Because of Jesus' teaching, John chapter 4, verse 42, people of Samaria were saying, this one is indeed the Savior of the world. You know, the world generally criticizes zealots. Or zealous people. But you know what? The woman at the well... She was, at least on that day. The world criticizes zealots, but the Holy Spirit does not. So the world would be better off if we as Christians wore Jesus on our shirt sleeves a bit more than we often do. 
If we set Jesus the man forward all the time, it will make a difference all the time. Let's look at John chapter 6, verses 66 through 69. In previous verses, Jesus had been teaching about what made some people uncomfortable. That he was the bread which had come down of, out of heaven. That his disciples would indeed come to eat his flesh and drink his blood. You can imagine that that did trouble people who didn't have a spiritual background, who weren't aware of the teaching of, of Christ to that point. In verse 60, many of Christ's disciples were saying to each other, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? Now don't worry about the 12 because they had an understanding according to Peter and I'll deal with that in a moment. But they understood how difficult it was for people who did not have their experience with Christ. How difficult it would be for them to hear that. In response, Jesus asked, What then if you should behold the Son of Man ascending to where He was before? Now verses 66 and following. As a result of this, many of His disciples withdrew and were not walking with Him anymore. Jesus said therefore to the twelve, you do not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered Him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. We know that as Peter was speaking, it was in Peter's knowledge that he was addressing a miracle worker. We know that as Peter was speaking to Jesus, he was speaking to a fulfiller of centuries old prophecy. But think of this, Peter also said what he said to an ex-carpenter. He was speaking to a person that many looked down their nose at saying, well, you know, we, 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 know, we know Joseph. We, we know his brothers and sisters. And basically they were confessing, how could he be special? He's one of us. But Peter also said what he said, standing in flesh and blood in front of Jesus. Someone who knew what his temptations were. And was therefore someone who understood him. Peter was understood by Jesus like no one else ever could. For Jesus was God. And man. Hebrews chapter 4 verses 14 through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus the son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. The author of Hebrews is setting forth Jesus the man. 
One who understands. One who sympathizes. And yet he calls us to a higher plane. Go and sin no more. That was a statement of Christ. What do we find in a Savior who is fully God and fully man? We find healing. We find forgiveness. What does detachment from Jesus the man bring? Shallow healing and for some, none at all. And the problem with that is we could find ourselves just doing church. You know, like some people do lunch. Let's do lunch. And when someone says that, even in a crowd of five or six people, the rest of it's so important that five or six people can't decide where they're going to go for lunch. I don't know. Where do you want to go? I don't know. Where do you want to go? What do you like? I don't know. Who wants to just do Christianity instead of Jesus had never called anyone to be his disciples without first having demonstrated what discipleship was in his own person. It took courage for him to say what he said and to do what he did in the presence of those who had pledged themselves against him. With his reference to Naaman the Syrian in verse 27, Jesus clearly offended the Jews. But he reminded them that God blesses whom he will. Where he will, when he will. What Jesus demonstrated in the flesh helps me when I'm the one who's wounded. Or I'm the one who's rejected. And I know that we all get wounded. I know that we all get rejected. In order to be good at what we do as Christians and to keep from being discouraged, we need to see Jesus the man and we need to hold that man up to others. We want to be good at what we do. We can be frustrated when so many reject the message and our goodwill toward them. But remember that during His ministry in flesh and blood, there were more souls who rejected Jesus' message than there were those who became his disciples. In John chapter 7 verse 5, Jesus' own brothers didn't believe in him. And so Jesus knew what it was like to have family members who were slow on the uptake. Some would come to believe. So we need to pray past our discouragements. We need to pray past ridicule. Can we even get past ridicule? In Luke chapter 8, the daughter of Jairus, a synagogue official in Capernaum, the daughter had died. Jesus' counsel in verse 50 was, do not be afraid, only believe, and she will be made well. Well, at the official's house, counsel of Jesus was in verse 50 do not be afraid only believe she at the official's house the Lord's command was stop weeping for she has not died but is asleep 
They laughed at him. And yet not in any of the gospel records of this event do I see a record of Jesus' anger or frustration. He simply took the little girl's hand and called out, Child, arise. And her spirit returned to her. We have much to do, loved ones, and we have much to be in remembrance of Christ. As to personal work, you know a true fisherman, a true fisherman, a literal fisherman, will go fishing even if they didn't bite the last time. A true fisherman will go fishing even if they didn't bite the time before that or the time before that. And Jesus in the flesh made his disciples also blood and bone and subject to temptation. He made them to be fishers of men. Are there disappointments? Yes. But literal fishermen, real fishermen, do what they do for the love of fishing. Real hunters do what they do for the love of hunting. Jesus did what he did in the flesh for his love of souls. And he taught his apostles to think the way he did. They were imperfect men, but they knew who he was. These brief remarks in the lesson is yours this evening. Speak of the majesty of God's Son. Speak of His preexistence. Speak of His virgin birth. But you might want to begin in a world where people know less and less about Jesus at all, you might want to begin with Jesus the man who was tempted in all points even as we are and who, although he was sinless and falsely accused, resolutely set his face toward Jerusalem. Luke chapter 9 verse 51 in your translation, you might have steadfastly, but he fixed his face toward Jerusalem. He knew where he was going and why. And he went there even in flesh and blood. He would bear his cross to the place of the skull. He would die for you and me. How does a person honor such a man who has been proved by God to be His Son. We honor Him by obedience to His Gospel and by faithfulness to His church. We imitate Him in baptism for a different reason. His was to fulfill all righteousness. Ours is for the forgiveness of our sins. That's how we honor Him. By making confession not a one-time shot before baptism, but what we do naturally day by day, lifting up Jesus the man. 
Many stumble and fall. There are people who stumble and fall from the ranks of the body of Christ. People that we thought never would. Many stumble and fall. But Jesus did and still has the words of eternal life. If you're subject to the Lord's invitation, we would be happy to pray with you. There are those here who would be happy to counsel with you. Loved ones, this isn't just something that we do by custom at the end. It's something that we do because every soul, every heart is important. As together we stand and sing, loved ones. Who at the door is standing, patiently drawing here, entrance within. Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy great and wonderful name. Father, we're thankful unto thee that Jesus came to this world and taught us how to live and that he came and bore our sin and died for us. And Father, we're thankful that we have a high priest who is tempted in all ways like we are, yet without sin. Father, help us to learn more about your will your nature, and more about everything that's been done for us to save us every day and help us to help others see those things and help them to understand those things as well. Father, please bless all those that we have on our hearts and minds who are sick or are undergoing treatments. We pray that you would 
Help us to be the best servants that we can be. And Father, please watch over us all. Help us all as we depart from this place to make it home safely. And as we've begun this new week, pray that you would help us as we go about it to always be mindful to bring glory to thy name. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.